everyone. Thank you, Albert. Appreciate you leading us tonight. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We want to look at verses 1 through 8 tonight. Uh, Pleasing God on sexual purity is what I've titled the message here, and you will see why as we get into the study here. Uh, You know, there's tremendous pressure. I've been reading some articles today, you know, as far as there's certain things uh, pastors want to avoid because it's controversial. And uh, it's uh, uh, one one of the issues, you know, you get um, some hot button issues related to uh, sexual purity, marriage, uh, those kind of things. And uh, so we're in kind of that that territory that the world would probably call me a hater for preaching what I'm about to preach here tonight. And uh, it's so basic Bible, though. I mean, it's like the Bible says in the last days, it will not endure sound doctrine. Uh, so I think we're in that on that territory. Let's pray and then we'll get into our study. Father, I do thank you for the privilege to study the word tonight. It is your word. Uh, the word of our God shall stand forever. It is our authority. And so, Lord, uh, help me to teach accurately and clearly. Pray that bless our discussion, our, our working through the text together. And so, uh, Lord, just speak to our hearts. Help us to have ears to hear what you would have us to see uh, from the word this evening. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we have worked our way down through the book. Uh, of course, the theme is the day of Christ, Christ coming for the church, mentioned in every chapter. And uh, we worked our way. We're now down to chapter 4, Exhortation to Holy, holy Living. Uh, Paul was not at Thessalonica for a long time. We know he, it talks about he was there three Sabbaths, as we find in Acts chapter 17. Might have been there a little bit longer, maybe four or five weeks or something like that, but not a long time. But yet, as he has heard back, uh, he had a report in terms of how they're doing, and he's very encouraged. Remember, he started out in chapter 1, verse 4, by saying, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. In other words, I believe that you are saved people. You are, you are part of the elect, uh, which is the chosen. And the only way you know when people are really chosen is when they respond in saving faith uh, to the truth of the gospel. Well, there was some great evidence in their, their lives. But as we go on, uh, he still is concerned about them. In chapter 3 and verse 10, he says there, uh, Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect, perfect or complete, what is lacking in your faith. So he has concern. They're still very new believers. And as new believers, uh, you got some weaknesses, right? You got some gaps in your thinking. You got some things that need to be filled out or, or perfected, uh, completed. And so he has uh, concern about that. And then he goes on to really say what it is. Verse 11, uh, Now may our God and Father himself and, and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the, wor- and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. So there's one of the things he wants them to grow in is love uh, to one another and to all just as we, uh, to you, uh, as we do to you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. There's another emphasis, holiness, love and holiness. And then he's talking about before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So he mentions the coming of Christ. So really, I think as he gets into chapter 4, he builds on these things. He says he wants to see them to uh, perfect what he's lacking. And then he mentions love, holiness, and the coming of the Lord. Those are the things that he goes on to talk about now in chapter 4. And uh, as we get started here tonight, uh, we see the emphasis is on holiness. 
Uh, let's have somebody read verses 1 and 2. Who wants to read uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2? Somebody want to read that for us? Yeah, John? <clears throat> Okay, so he says, uh, finally then, proving that Paul is a preacher, right? Because, I mean, he's only about three-fifths of the way through, and he says, finally. Uh, Literally, the idea here is further, or for for the rest, and so he has a little bit more he wants to say to them. And Like I say, he's going to kind of, I think, pick up on what he's just mentioned in terms of what he wants to kind of perfect in them, uh, these basic ideas of love, holiness, and the coming of the Lord. We could break chapter 4 down in this way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What we're talking about tonight is holiness, sexual purity. And then uh, verses 9 through 12, brotherly love. And then 13 through 18, the the Lord's coming. That's the key chapter on the the rapture of the church uh, here at the end of of chapter 4. So uh, tonight, holiness. Finally then, brethren, he's speaking to the family. So this is uh, fellow believers, right? The family of God. Uh, brethren, uh, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus. Uh, urge is to entreat, and uh, exhort is to uh, appeal to, strongly appeal to, to even the idea of beg. Uh, so there's a strong in- encouragement here, exhortation. We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus, in, in that spiritual sphere that we are all part of in our relationship with Jesus Christ as fellow believers. Uh, so he's addressing those in relationship to the, to the Lord Jesus, that you should abound more and more. So he wants them to grow. Uh, as believers, we are in process. We don't want to be stagnant. We want, we want to keep on keeping on. And that's what he's uh, concerned about here, that you should abound more and more. He wants them to continue to grow. And then he says, uh, just as you receive from us, they model it, uh, how you ought to walk and to please God. So a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. And he's saying, you, we, we showed you uh, just as you receive from us. We, we modeled it before you. And uh, the goal, of course, is to please God. Um, let's see my slide here. There are some groups who believe they can achieve total sanctification in this life. Uh, some professing Christians claim they haven't sinned in years. They're sinning in saying that, I think. Uh, But in reading about them, it becomes obvious that in order to stick with this story, they have to redefine sin. Uh, You know, they say, well, well, mistakes were made, but there was no sin. (laughs) Okay. Uh, They have to define it down. The fact is, as believers, we are in process. But none of us have fully arrived. We will not be perfectly conformed to Christ's likeness until we get to glory. So we are in process. But uh, in our walk, we're not perfect yet. None of us are. Now, we still have the flesh, the old sin nature. We have the Holy Spirit pulling us in the right way. We all have some of the flesh pulling us in another direction. And so I often say, as Christians, we are conflicted. And we will be conflicted until we get to glory. Notice, remember what he said there at the end of chapter 3. He was uh, desiring that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the goal. That when we stand before God, we'd be above reproach. That God would be pleased with how we've been living. That's the goal here, to please God. 
Paul says this different places. Second uh, Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, uh, to be well-pleasing to him. There's his goal. Well, whether dead or alive, to be found pleasing to, to God. Uh, and then he says, why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the Bema seat. Uh, the Bema seat was where the, uh, the judge would sit at the end of a sporting event and hand out uh, the awards uh, for the first place, second place, whatever. Uh, that was the, the, the word judgment here is Bema. So it's that idea of uh, uh, appearing before Jesus Christ to give an account in terms of uh, how we're going to be rewarded. That each one may receive the things done in the body. So this is based on works. Salvation's not based on works, but rewards are. Uh, salvation's a free gift. But rewards are according to our service. And that's what he says, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Uh, whether uh, inferior, not worthy of a reward, <clears throat> or good. Yeah, they're well, well done. And so that's what we want to hear. We all want to hear... Uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then he says, uh, he's really going to build on this idea of, of walking in such a way that we please God. And he says, verse 2, For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So this isn't anything new. Uh, he was there a short time, but he hit on these themes pretty strong, even in that short time that he was there. Uh, he didn't wait uh, a long time. Notice, uh, you know what commandments. Uh, these are not suggestions. They're commandments. Uh, authoritative orders. Uh, for, and uh, you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Notice again uh, that language, Lord Jesus. He said it in verse 1, and now he says it again here in verse 2. Uh, Lord means master. That's what Lord means. And uh, when used of the risen Lord, it always refers to his deity, always ties deity into it. So it's the idea of God-master. Uh, when we think about our risen Lord, he is master, even over the grave. He's the God master. And uh, Jesus, uh, I like to say the name Jesus means God's savior. You've got God in both Lord and Jesus. And uh, let me kind of break down Jesus for you. Th that is the, the name, okay? Um, in Hebrew... <clears throat> Yehoshua, uh, Joshua is, what is brought across in English. This is the Hebrew. And of course, uh, gr Greek, Jesus, English, Jesus. Uh, all the same thing. You got the Hebrew Joshua, you got uh, the Greek, and then you got the English Jesus. So really, Joshua in the Old Testament is the name Jesus in the New Testament. So if you want to name your, your son uh, Jesus, just call him Joshua, right? I mean, that's the equivalent in the Hebrew. Now, uh, this is a compound word, this Hebrew word, Yehoshua, uh, is a compound name consisting of two words. Uh, Yeho is a prefix form of God's name, Yahweh. So it's basically the, the core is Yahweh. And Shua means to deliver, rescue, or save. So Jesus means Yahweh saves. You don't have to read very many Bible commentaries, and they'll tell you that's what it means. Uh, Yahweh saves, and, uh, or Yahweh is salvation. In other words, that's why I call, uh, say the name Jesus means God's Savior. So believe on the Lord Jesus means you believe on him as your God master. You believe on him as your God Savior. And 
That's the emphasis here. He talks about, uh, we exhort you in the Lord Jesus. That's the sphere we're in. Uh, we're in relationship with him for who he is as Lord Jesus. And we, we gave commandments to you through the Lord Jesus as his representatives. Uh, of course, Paul spoke as an apostle and giving the commandments of the Lord uh, on behalf of Jesus. All right. Um, any thoughts before we get to the main thing he wants to say here to them in this section? All right. Let's have somebody read three through five. Who wants to read that? Three through five? Yeah. Shane? Okay, this is some pretty heavy stuff laying on these brand new believers in a Thessalonian uh, context. Uh, so anyway, he spells it out here. He zeroes in on a prominent command that is to set believers apart. This is the will of God. You don't have to wonder about this. You say, well, I'm not sure if this is the will of God. We love each other after all. Uh, no. Uh, this is the will of God. Uh, this is God's purpose, his design, his desire, his intention. And then he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now that's that $50 word that means set apart. Right. Sometimes translated righteous and or holy. Um, so the idea here is this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. This is what sets Christians apart. Uh, sexual purity. I got a slide or so here. Now let's talk about that word sanctification for, for just a moment here. Because say it's a $50 word that means uh, uh, set apart. And it's the idea of, uh, in terms of our position, there's positional sanctification and that means we're made perfect by the blood of Jesus. Uh, my verse here, by one offering he, notice he has perfected. We didn't perfect ourselves. By one offering, now what's that one offering? The cross, right. The, the, the offering at the cross, the, the, the blood sacrifice. By one offering, it's talking about Jesus. By one offering, he, Jesus, has perfected forever. I like that. Positional sanctification. I'm perfected forever. How about you? Yes, if you're a believer, you are. Uh, but then it goes on to say those who are being sanctified. If the first part is true, if you really have positional sanctification, there's an outworking in your life where you are in process, practical sanctification. And that's really what we're talking about here is practical sanctification. Um, let me back up here. Okay, we got the truth of positional sanctification. But we've also got practical or progressive sanctification where we grow in Christ-likeness. Both are found in this verse here. And then there's a perfected sanctification. Uh, when we get to glory, you know, we won't have to worry about sinning anymore when we get to heaven. Uh, we'll have perfected sanctification. We will be set apart in a perfected form called glorification. So, um, God is at work in all of our lives. Hebrews 12 we were in Hebrews 10, but now we jump ahead to Hebrews 12. He says, if you endure chastening, or that's discipline, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, 
without discipline, of which all have become partakers, all who are sons, all who are true children of God, of which all have become partakers. We all get a spanking once in a while. You know why? We all need it, right? No amens on that. It's true, we do. Uh, But if you're without it, if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, all, no, no exceptions, but if you're without discipline, then you're illegitimate and not sons. You know I spanked my kids when they needed it, but you know I never, ever one time spanked the neighbor's kids. I never did. You didn't either, right? Because you're not in prison tonight, right? (laughs) God disciplines his own children. Judgment awaits those that are not his children, but he doesn't discipline them like he does it. You know, as believers, you just can't get away with sin because you got a father who loves you and who will discipline you. And then he goes on to say, now no chastening seems to be joyful. It's not fun for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It builds holiness into our lives to those who have been trained by it. So God is at work in all of the lives of his children. That's why I say this idea that you can just live like the devil as a believer and just get away with it perpetually, I I don't think so. If there's a pattern of ongoing flagrant sin and there's no discipline, there's something wrong with that. Something wrong with that according to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, So God is at work to build holiness into our lives, and he disciplines all of us to that end. We've got one more slide here. In the process of our practical sanctification, God wants us to be sexually pure. When we come to Christ, it's a new start. We are new creations in Christ, and we go from there, right? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become... Isn't it great to have a clean slate? We go from there. Uh, When we stumble, as we do, James says we all stumble. When we stumble, we confess our sins, and he is faithful uh, to forgive and cleanse us. We're talking about maintenance in our walk here. But as God's children, he expects us to walk in sexual purity. Um, And that's the emphasis here. So, uh, this is the will of God, uh, your sanctification, that you should abstain, that is, refrain from, sexual immorality. Now, the word... uh, Uh, sexual immorality here is uh, the Greek word pornea. Uh, It's a broad word referring to any kind of illicit uh, sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage. It's a broad word. It can mean uh, lots of different things. But uh, let me go through some slides here. Pornea is a word from which we get our English word uh, pornography. And you can see where you porn, pornography As such, it includes fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, incest, etc. So again, it's a very broad word. Uh, Scripture is clear that those who habitually practice immorality are not saved. They're not God's children. Uh, Now, they might want to say they are. And and Paul kind of addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He has to rebuke, there's some immorality going on in in the church. Some serious immorality. And he says there, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? They're not going in. And then he says, do not be deceived. Why do you suppose he says that? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Why do you think he says, do not be deceived? It seems like there was maybe some at Corinth who were thinking, oh, well, it doesn't matter that you're living this way. You can still be a Christian and live this way, right? Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, he's not he's not going to judge that. Yeah, not going to deal with that. Yeah. Yep. And I, and I think Christians can all sometimes you know we, we do want to be very gracious. We do want to be very loving, and so we can let things slide to where we say, well, it's not that big a deal. He says, don't be deceived. People that are living this way as a pattern are not saved. Now, I don't know where that line is because Christians can fall into sin. David fell into terrible uh, adultery. Uh, We know Christians can fall into sin. But I think, again, if you do fall into sin, what's going to happen? You're going to be miserable. You know what? We say David, that great man of God who had a heart after God. What was his experience, though, when he was in sin? Psalm 32, Psalm 51. You study those Psalms. He was absolutely miserable. I think if you really have the Holy Spirit, the Bible says don't grieve grieve the Holy Spirit. If you really have the Holy Spirit, you cannot sin with a lot of pleasure for very long. (laughs) You will be under conviction. You will grieve the Spirit. It will make you miserable. And so he says, don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor violators, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom. These people who are living this way are not going in. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. And such were some of you. You lived this way before, but not anymore. Such were. He didn't say such are. Such were some of you. There has been a change. But you were washed. You're sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there's been a change. And don't let anybody deceive you. If they're living like this, they're, they're not going to inherit the kingdom, Paul says. Pretty strong language there. Um, let's see here. And Paul's not alone, right? John, in the book of Revelation. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then again, the last chapter in the Bible, outside, outside the holy city are dogs. Dogs represent those that are unclean, uh, sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. They're outside. They're not inside the holy city. They're outside the holy city. Uh, One more uh, slide here. However, even believers can fall into sin, as I mentioned, including sexual sin. David was a godly man, yet he fell into adultery. Uh, Still, the warning is very strong to the new covenant believers that this must not happen. The one thing in terms of permanent moral code that the Jerusalem Council laid out for the Gentiles to observe was that they abstain from sexual immorality. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. I mean, this should not even come up. We shouldn't say, oh boy, yeah, we got a little bit of that going on here. No, it should not be tolerated. It should not even be named as happening among you. So very, very strong language. And it seems to me Paul was on this from the very get-go with new converts. You can say, well, we'll let him grow a little bit, and then we'll kind of lay on some, some of this stuff that's kind of hard. I mean, after all, they're just coming out of paganism. might take a little while to get away from their sexual addictions. No, no, no. He laid it on thick, very strong, right from the very beginning. Uh, okay. On the, you know, uh, we don't want to be totally negative here in the sense of uh, um, 
sexual relations because in the bounds of marriage, it's blessed. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. So God, you know, there's a proper place. But outside the bounds of marriage, no. Uh, this is what is to set you apart. Uh, I'll bet you can't turn very many TV programs that are on right now and go very far without some kind of sexual innuendo happening. I mean, it's the way the, way the world lives. They live in the gutter. It's, and all these jokes and everything. You turn on, you go to the night shows tonight at 1030. See how long you have to go before you hear a perverted joke. It relates to sexual immorality. It's everywhere all the time. But for you as Christians, this is what sets you apart, that you abstain. And then he says, verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Uh, each of you personally, very personally, individually, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. Uh, know yourself. And, and you know what? We're all weak. We're all vulnerable. vulnerable. And, uh, you know, Paul says in Romans chapter 13, he says, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Put on the Lord Jesus. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You know, the thing about uh, the lusts of the flesh is they are with us until we get to the glory land. Uh, the flesh doesn't get better. Uh, now, you get stronger in your walk, but the flesh is still the flesh. And, it's going, and so you don't want to give it a chance. You don't want to put yourself in a vulnerable position. That's what he's saying here. Each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You, you need to think clearly here. Um, possess his own vessel, uh, control your own body is the idea. You need to know how to do that to where you're not uh, involved in sexual immorality. The strong know their weaknesses. And when it comes to immorality, most people are vulnerable. That is why the Bible says flee. And this is the one sin we, we are to flee it. Run! Get out of that context. You're going to end up in trouble. Flee sexual immorality. Joseph remained pure because he ran. He ran. Job made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon on a young woman. And so this, you have to be very deliberate, very disciplined. Can't mess around with this. Can't give it an inch. And then there's accountability. Uh, I mean, Paul goes so far as to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. But then he has to qualify this. He says, I did not mean the, the sexually immoral people of the world. He says, I'm not talking about the pagans out here. Now, they're living that way. If you're going to have anything to do with them at all, that's just where they live. Or with covetous, extortioners, idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. This is a professing Christian who is sexually immoral, covetous, idolater, reviler, drunker, extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. So there is, uh, there is accountability here. Uh, we are a holy family of God, and this is not to be tolerated in the family of God. Um, okay. Notice he says there, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. Again, in keeping with what it means to be set apart uh, in holiness and honor. Uh, this is the temple of God. It is to be treated with honor and uh, respect. We all deal with the flesh until we walk through the pearly gates. 
But notice the way to have victory is to make no provision for the flesh. That is, don't give it any opportunity. If you are susceptible to pornography on the computer, get rid of it. Make yourself strictly accountable. If you find yourself being drawn into sexual sin, you better learn how to run. Learn to discipline yourself and make no provision for the flesh. Uh, You just cannot play around with this or even give it an inch or you will fall. I will fall. (laughs) It's one reason I never meet with women alone. Uh, My wife's there. I mean, just as a way of life, that's the way I've carried on my ministry. And so I remember this one lady was like, well, what do you think I'm going to do, attack you? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I had in mind. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I'm really not so concerned about you. I'm concerned about me. You know, things happen. People get into intimate counseling situations and they start sharing their hearts and they get close. And, you know, anyway, things happen. Just can't be too careful. Uh, Okay. Uh, Then he continues his thought here. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Not in passion of lust. This defines the unsaved world. If it feels good, do it. And the problem with them is there, there is no lordship governance. Uh, it's a flesh. They're flesh governed. Not governed by the Lord. They have uncontrolled sensual desires. That's the idea here. Not in passion of lust. Like the Gentiles. This is how they carry on. Uh, the Jews had scruples. They weren't always consistent, but, but there was some, some, they had the law. They had the word of God. Gentiles had nothing. There was this free for all. And so that's why he emphasizes this here. Really uh, indicative of the, of the unsaved. Uh, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles, the unsaved world who do not know God. They don't know God. That's why, they, that's why they live this way. This is indicative of, of those who aren't saved. They don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. They don't have a saving faith. Well, uh, what defines a world that does not know God is sexual perversion and immorality. I mean, you look at all the cultural wars, what we used to call the cultural wars. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, they've won. <laughs> but, I mean, it's all about, you know, What? homosexuality, transgender, abortion, all these things relate to immorality. Uh, uh, The world that does not know God is defined by sexual perversion and immorality. What is to define those who truly know God is sexual purity. This is what sets us apart. Uh, The difference is, I mean, even if you just say, uh, Andrew, weren't you telling me, you were talking to somebody on the work and they couldn't believe it, like, well, you're not living together? You know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, this is so, it's just, they don't get it. Used to be, we had enough of a Christian ethic in our society, they knew that wasn't quite right. It was kind of hidden, you know, still going on. Now it's like, yeah, you're the weirdo if you're not living together. For uh, the differences in truly knowing God. Notice. Note that twice in verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks of the Lord Jesus. That is who he is to us as true believers. He is Lord. He is Savior. And that displays itself in sexual purity. Uh, That's to be on display in our lives in terms of sexual purity. Jesus makes a difference. You know why? He's our Lord. He's He's our God Savior. And that means something to us who are true believers. It makes a difference in our lives. The God of sex, as I like to call it, is one of the greatest of all false gods. This passion is impossible to overcome within our own strength. 
It only happens through knowing God. I mean, that's the defining issue here. Uh, Galatians 5.24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, there is a, a death to sin that takes place in repentance and conversion. It's a life-changing reality. Okay. Uh, all right. Anything else there before we finish out here tonight? All right. Let's have somebody read uh, 6 through 8. Who wants to read that? Finish us out here. Somebody want to read 6 through 8? Yes, Anita. Okay, thank you. So here he, here he goes to the strong warning again that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Uh, take advantage of is literally to step over. Uh, it is to uh, violate a boundary. Uh, here the, the boundary is sexual purity. And so there's, there's a no trespassing sign when it comes to uh, uh, sexual purity. No trespassing. No one should step over this. Nobody should be out of bounds here. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother, brother generic, brother sister, in this matter. Uh, defraud is to wrong, to overreach, to cheat, uh, violate. Uh, no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Of course, brother would be the idea of fellow believer here. And no one should violate a fellow believer in this matter of sexual immorality. And why? He tells you why, right? I mean, he's really laying it on thick here because the Lord is the avenger of all such. Oh my goodness. I think the Lord's the avenger in relationship to a believer. That's what it says here. What do you think that means? Because the Lord is the avenger. <laughs> well, that's true. And, and in, in pretty harsh terms. It's the idea of uh, the enforcer when it comes to, to punishment. Uh, so it's the idea of being the punisher, the, the revenger, the one who gets even. Uh, God's going to deal uh, with this person in pretty strong terms. Uh, we don't know exactly what might come, but uh, we know that he disciplines all of his children. Uh, but I want you to see a couple of things here. Uh, the warning is strong because when you get to this point, it looks like there's a point where there's divine intervention. God himself intervenes. And uh, that's the point here because the Lord is the avenger. Uh, direct intervention by God uh, in an avenging sort of a way. And you can't outrun God. Say, well, I don't, the church doesn't like it, so I'll just go down the road to this church. Well, if you're a true believer, I have a feeling God's got that address. You're not going to outrun him. The consequences are going to follow. Uh, the Lord is the avenger of all such. Doesn't make any exceptions. Uh, God is going to deal with this. You just can't get away with this kind of sin. Not if you're a, a brother. He disciplines all of his children. And then he says as we also forewarned you and testified. Strong emphasis. We warned you before. When, he wasn't there very long, three weeks, and he's warning them about this already. Hey, this is a high priority. Be sexually pure. We forewarned you and testified. 
Testified is intense if earnestly uh, testified, strictly warned is the idea, even as new believers, brand new believers. He's telling about, here's what God expects of you. Maybe we should start, you know, telling new believers right away. What do you think? I mean, Paul did. And then he says, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. This is our calling as believers. We have a holy calling. He did not call us to uh, uncleanness. You know, the, the mystery pagan rituals, the, uh, the religious rituals, they often involved immoral rites. But that's not our calling. I mean, it's what the world's all about. But God did not call us as Christians to uncleanness, but in holiness. This is the third time we have that word, a form of the same word there, sanctification in verse 3 uh, and verse 4, and now holiness in verse 7. Uh, God called us in holiness. And this is, again, not alone here. We have lots of emphasis. First uh, Peter 1, 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Set apart because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So God's a holy God. He expects his children to live holy lives. And then he comes to the conclusion. Therefore, he rejects this, does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. Somebody says, well, I reject that. I'm, I can't go along with that. That's too much for me. Well, just know that you are taking on God. Uh, this isn't what man says. This isn't just simply rejecting some ordinances of man. Uh, this is the commandment of the Lord, the commandment of God. And he rejects it, uh, rejects God. This is a rejection of God, which is very serious because we already saw that he is the avenger of all such who do this. So basically, you're, you're challenging God, who's the avenger. Uh, that's really serious. Who has also given us his Holy Spirit. I always say, it's good to remember the, the first name of the Spirit, right? Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit's living in you, expects you to live a holy life. You're to be the holy temple of God. He lives uh, within you and me as believers. Okay, well, let me finish out here. Galatians 5, 16. I say then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the, that's the whole deal. At any given moment, you're either walking according to the flesh or you're walking according to the Spirit. What, you know, what's it going to be? And when we're walking according to the God's truth, we're walking in the Spirit. So we want to walk in the Spirit, and then we won't be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. God has given us His Spirit so that we might be His witnesses. He empowers us to be His witnesses. And so that we might be empowered to live holy lives. Uh, really, these, these two uh, emphasis here. <clears throat> Years ago, after revelations of televangelists uh, being involved in gross immorality came forth, I remember John MacArthur saying that what these people did with their bodies was wicked sin, but that the ultimate scandal, in his view, was the development of a theology, what I call easy believism, that allowed them to live like that. How true. Uh, you know, Paul says, don't be deceived. You can't live this way as a Christian. You say, oh, yes, 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 I'm with carnal all the time. May, may better examine yourself. Are you even in the faith? Do not be deceived. He makes it strong. And we need to make it strong. God's word is true. The will of God, our very sanctification that sets us apart from the world, 
is that we as believers should abstain from sexual immorality. I mean, this is basic 101. Do not be deceived. Those who reject this are rejecting God and what he says. I mean, this is a, in your face to reject this. It's in God's face. It's taking God on. God help each one of us to be faithful in this matter of sexual purity. It is what defines authentic Christianity. It is our sanctification. Be among those who are earnestly contending for the faith in these dark days of apostasy. Be a contender, not a pretender. So uh, God help us to uh, indeed take to heart what is the will of God, our sanctification? Well, that we should abstain from sexual immorality. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Yeah. When something like this happens in church, it's not something that you can just shake off. Mm-hmm. Like there are there are, there are sins that happen in the life of a brother or whatever. Forget to move on. But when something when something like this happens, even in the church, the nature of God demands that this is like this is not okay. And I think it's an evidence of true leaders that when we are also shook by something this serious, and it's not something. Well, that's true. Uh, we are a holy family, and so, yeah, one member, what's happening, is that one affects, affects the whole. So, absolutely. And I think you go to 1 Corinthians 6, he does kind of set this as a, as a unique sin in some ways. Every other sin is outside, but this is, you know, inside. I mean, it affects, it affects you in certain ways. Um, praise the Lord, there is forgiveness. People get right with the Lord. You go on from there. But the warnings are here for a purpose. Uh, oh yeah. Well, they were disqualified, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's qualifications for leadership roles. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. And I think what I hear you saying is, uh, it is really not something to be taken lightly. Oh, no, oh yeah, I blew it. No, do, go again. Oh, I blew it. No, this is something really serious, kind of earth-shaking type stuff. Yes, but also just like, as believers, and as being welcomed into the family of God, We have the mind of Christ. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. That's why I say, I think Paul says, don't let it even be once named among you as become a saints. We should all have that high standard where, oh no, this is not acceptable here. You know, this is not something we're going to overlook. It's going to be a matter of church discipline. I hate church discipline. I don't ever want to do church discipline. But you can't just let immorality go on unchecked. Absolutely. Yes, Dwayne? Yeah. Yeah. Other people would judge it by then. Well, if I was in there, I'd have done this. That's what you must have done too. 
Why? You want to be careful. Yeah, you want to be as as wise and careful as you can be. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It was D.A. Carson. I, I stole that from him. But yeah. 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 Stay behind the desk. You got to remember There was like 28 points in that, in this professor gave in that class to the, these pastors. And every, every other one was, and stay behind the desk. She starts to cry, give her a Kleenex, stay behind the desk. It was 28 points. Every other one, stay behind the desk. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have a verse for this, Andrew? First Thessalonians four three would work. <laughs> it is the defining trait. It is a defining trait as far as it is our sanctification. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anyone else? Yeah, Michael. Amen. And that ties right in with that word sanctification. I mean, we are set apart in, in that way, representing him. Absolutely. And as the, as the church, I mean, um, think about uh, we have a covenant relationship with our God. Marriage is a covenant relationship. To violate that covenant relationship is most serious. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Amen. And especially with the emphasis on sexual purity. I mean, I, I could think we, we could probably develop a lot of themes as far as what sets us apart. Our love for one another, uh, you know, all kinds of things. You know, by this, all will know that we are his disciples. But the emphasis here really is sexual purity. There's a huge emphasis here. 
Yeah. All right. Very good. Anyone else? Okay. Let's go ahead and share some prayer items.